okay, but you know, it's it's been said, you know, that a, a, a setback is a setup for a comeback. Mm -hmm. All right. Now, armed with your knowledge, and clearly you've made mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes, right? There's no way you could sell through that. Said I never made a mistake. So. Yeah. You are making the mistakes and you are learning from them. And even now you reflect, you can realize perhaps you've done that differently, could mm. have done that differently. Do you think now if you were to go back into the team, you'd do it differently and you could make changes based on the mistakes that you'd made previously? Do you think you could go in now and give it a real good? I know there are certain decisions that I wish I hadn't made, but I did because they were the right decisions at the time. And everyone agreed that they were the right ones, but they just never worked out. Mm. Um, so there's no point even changing that, mm -hmm. you know, that's just life. I think that, I think I'd love to have carried on with the path that I was going on to see where it ended up. I can't, I don't know if it would have ended up with Williams sure. becoming a championship winning team again. Um, but I'd like to think that I could have done it. And I would like to think that given the financial power, um, I could have done it. I've grown up around that team and I know what it takes, you know, to make a team successful. Yeah. But whether whether I could have done it, I don't know. Sure. I'll never know. And that's, I suppose, one of not my... Not unless you went back. Yeah, not if I went back. But I don't think that it's... I don't know. I'd yeah. love to. In my dreams, when yeah. I fall asleep at night, I dream that I go back and... You go back and... I'm running it. And turn I'm it around. holding that trophy on the on the podium again but I don't know if I've got the ability to I don't know whether I lived in a dream world and you know just thought yeah with you know a good wind and a lot of money and x y and z I could make this team successful who knows right Formula One was a very changing place when I was running the team and particularly in the latter years it was became a very difficult environment to work in if you were you know like us an independent family run team well, it's added pressure for you it's a family business it's not yeah. just a corporation right it's yeah. you've got the resources issue you've got the rules changing you've yeah. got you're not backed by you know yeah. mercedes that's got a production team and they've got all the technology and yeah. resource to draw on yeah but as i said because it's a family yeah. team that makes it doubly difficult for you yeah. surely that, yeah that made it yeah particularly when you know your father who was the family and his partner created a 16 world championship winning you know, racing team that was heralded as one of the best sports teams of the, you know, 90s, you know, it was, that was really big shoes to fill, but the world had changed. So dealing with, you know, grappling with that level of adversity, do you think that it made you, has made you a better, stronger individual has it made you sort of more jaded i mean how it has to have some level of impact on you as clare williams as of today it probably may sound really bitter i've sat here i didn't have any money <laughs> and i have this and i have that of course i could have done it <laughs> no, 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 not at all but it's no. you know it's just i'm just thinking you you went through a lot whichever way yeah. anyone looks at it it's not easy to run a business it's not easy to run a business no. you know and no. anyone who says that they clearly haven't run a business yeah but to run a business i say where you've got your family you've got a legacy yeah you've got dad who built it up Mm. You've got your haunted by the fact that you know sixteen, yeah, you know championships. championships. Yeah. You've got not much resource. Yeah. You're not allowed to. You know you're frowned upon by having your family around. Yeah. You're a woman in a man's world, and to top it off, you're five foot four. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's got to yeah, make something of you. You yeah. know, going forward. So how yeah. do you think that that sort of shaped you? As Claire, we, we, you call yourself Claire Williams still? Yes. Or, yeah, no, I am. You know, as Claire Williams yeah. sort of 
in, in 2022? You know, what sort of individual is that? Mark Price, you say, you're calling yourself Claire Williams. <laughs> no, he didn't actually. <laughs> and I thought, let me see what you're going to come back with. Is it Williams or is it yeah, Harris? It's Williams. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think it probably has. I still, I still pinch myself. I wake up and I'm like, did I really do all that? Did I run a Formula One team? And, you know, did I travel around the world? And did I make these kinds of decisions? And, you know, even just like trying to get the team through coronavirus was, you know, it was almost comical at the end. You know, we lost our sponsor and they owed us huge amounts, well, supposedly putting huge amounts of money into the team. Coronavirus happened. And literally, I phoned my CEO one day with my arms in the eyes. I went, it's done. We're over. I mean, this is ridiculous. What more can life throw at us? And we'd already, even prior to that point, been through so much as a team, had so much thrown at us with dramas here, there and everywhere, that it was, it, it did get to the point where it was like, how much more can you cope with? And don't like forget about all the like trolling I had on social media. I mean, I was never on it. I never saw it. But I had that. I had in the paddock, like, you know, I'd walk down the paddock going, who's saying what about me? And I'm sure they were slagging me off going, what is she doing? Step aside, woman. But it didn't... I don't know whether I've just got like the thickest skin in the world, mm. um, but it never bothered me. It was like, I'm doing my job and I'm trying to do it to the best of my abilities. And now I look back on it and I go, I'm really proud of what I, what I did. And, you know, cause the team could have folded way before, you know, we sold it. You know, we, you know, we were lucky in, in actually, in fact, that it never entered administration like so many teams. Yeah. So I think in our time, time in Formula One, more than 100 teams, you know, fell by the wayside through either just team owners pulling out or teams going bankrupt into administration, running out of money, whatever. And we managed to get, you know, the team to a point where we were able to sell it. We didn't ever have to make any big redundancies, you know, and we sold it to, a, you know, an organisation that can now take it forward, put loads of money in and hopefully take it to where we all want to see it. And so I've got things to be proud of that sure. I did achieve. I was... Um, you know, major part of the process of getting these new regulations and in particular financial ones for the cost cap, I'm really proud of um, that I was involved in that. So I prefer to look at the positives rather than focus on negatives. I can look at the negatives all day long and beat myself up, but what's the point? Mm. You know, it's water under the bridge and I'd rather focus focus on the positives and what I did manage to do. Yeah, see. So, I mean, other teams going bankrupt and so on and so forth. I'm sure, you know, your dad, when he was running the team, there were times when it was tough financially, mm. you know, and, 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 and when he was faced with those types of circumstances, how would he deal with it? I, mean, I think remember you mentioning once that he would sort of say, you know, let's just sell whatever, sell anything, mm. sell everything, just keep yeah. the team going. Yeah, he did. You know, for him, it was just always Formula One. The money never, ever interested my dad whatsoever, not at the beginning of his career and certainly not at the end of it. He was just in it because he loved Formula One and he did whatever it took. I mean, he had no money for a decade. I mean, the whole paddock thought he was a complete laughing stock. And they called him something incredibly rude that rhymes with Frank and a bit more on the end of it. Yeah, they just, you know, just, he didn't care. He just kept going. And like, so the bailiffs used to come around when, you know, I was growing up. We lived in a rented house that my parents never paid the bills, you know, the rent, um, the monthly rent on. We had no carpets, no curtains. My husband takes the complete piss and going, oh, my God, you poor thing. You're, you know, you're so impoverished and all the rest of it. But you know, that's how you know, my parents looked at Williams. They had no money, but they never gave up and they kept going. And that's what I suppose we did at the end. We, you know, we had comparatively very little money compared to the other teams. Even when we came 
you know, had our two lovely third positions when I took over in 14 and 15. We punched above our weight beyond. I mean, we beat Ferrari, for goodness sake, and look how much money they were spending in, in Formula One, and they came behind us. You see, something to be proud of. Exactly. <laughs> no, 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 totally. I mean, look, I'll take that. It's, it's, and I, I think it's less about, you know, trying to sort of focus on the negative um, and more about how does that negative help you? You know, I'm a believer that, you're shaped in adversity. You're not shaped in the in in, in the happy, mm. pretty mm. times when the sun's out. Yeah. We find out who you really are when it's when it's yeah. tough. Yeah, you do. Um, and you went through so much. I'm saying you must have discovered mm. yourself, as you said. You maybe you've just got thick skin. You must have realised shit. I can actually do this. It hasn't broken me, yeah. and I'm still here. You know, it must make a certain character to go through all of that stuff and still mm. be here. I um I don't really think I know my personality because um, I'm clearly when I hear like you talk about that, I say, wow, gosh, she sounds really stubborn. Like and I am, but I will say that to my husband. Like we'll have a row. Oh, Jesus Christ, just give it up, would you? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's the most stubborn human being I've ever met. He's like, no, I'm not. He's you know, we have an argument about that. And like and I would never think of myself as stubborn, but I think I've got a personality that just comes out in those circumstances where I just won't give up and I will just keep pushing. I don't, I don't give up. I don't stop. And I try and make best out of, you know, whatever situation I've got. And I roll my, I've been taught, I think in my life, you just roll your sleeves up and you get on with it and it's stiff upper lip. And that's certainly what my mother instilled in us. And you just get on with it. You dealt the cards, you dealt. And you go through them. And, you know, if you're going to enjoy your life, you've got to do it with a smile on your face. And that resolve is what kept you going year after year after year. As you say, the mm. team never folded. There was yeah. never any administration. Mm. It just kept you going on to, yeah. to live to fight another day, right? I think there was probably a bit of ego in there as well. I did not want people seeing Williams in this shape. It was almost embarrassing. It was like, I'm going to do what I need to do. To You know, I felt very protective of Williams. Mm. It was like... You know, almost at the end, it's like a wounded animal that needed looking after, needed protecting. And I felt, you know, it's, it's almost, um, it's like an alive thing for me. Williams is, I always described it as like another sibling. It, it was there growing up, but also Williams has given me everything in my life. And I'm not just talking financially and the security that, of course, you know, owning a Formula One team was bought and the great privileges of traveling around the world and all the rest of it. But it's, it's given me... A way of life and a way to be and a mentality about life and how to live and I'm so grateful for that and I felt always that I had to give back you know Williams has given us everything I it deserves my 100% mind mastery mind mastery how would you when okay so you be at the races you'll go to work you'll put your long hours in how would you sort of make how, how did you keep on top of yourself to make sure that I'm good enough for tomorrow? How did you sort of, did you use your downtime in a way that was designed to make sure that you were able to perform the following day? Did, mm. did you, did, yeah, I did. But it was much more about, um, like, I think, a physic physicality to me. And I never really had to think, I never got really to a stage where I felt mentally exhausted or that I was mentally in any kind of trouble that I needed to seek any kind of help. Sure. And I think probably someone in my position may have felt all consumed and, I don't know, 
I never felt like that. And I, I put it down to just being I'm quite healthy. I certainly probably more healthy when I was in Formula One than now that I'm unemployed. But I sleep, sleep was absolutely critical to me. And Formula One is quite um, you know, party hard, play hard, work hard, play hard. I don't even know what the expression is because I just normally <laughs> work hard. You're just working sleep. all the time. Yeah, and sleep. Um, you know, everyone be going out in the evenings. I never did. Even when I was a junior press officer, I, mean, I think I went out more in the later years because I was having to wine and dine sponsors. But I would always just sleep. I knew that the next day I had to be on it and I wanted to give it my all. I didn't want to be hungover or even feel slightly fuzzy because I'd had two glasses of wine or whatever. I just wanted to get an early night and go to sleep and rest and have peace. And for me, you know, going back to my hotel room, getting my you know team kit off, a bath, getting into bed at 8.30 and having room service while watching something on you know my iPad with no one talking to me and no other noise and having a couple of hours by myself was absolutely, I think, probably what got me through. And certainly in the latter years, I would go out, but I wouldn't be drinking. And I would probably quite rudely, so leave the table by 11. I had to make sure, because you get up early as well. Mm. You're up at, you know, as a woman, I had to get up an hour and a half ahead of everyone else because I put all this on, you know, and that takes, you know, that's an extra less hour in bed asleep. So, you know, I would leave dinners early. I didn't really care if it was rude or not because I knew the most important thing for me was the next day and performing at the level I needed to perform at the track. So for me, sorry, long answer, but it was making sure physically I was in good shape, eating well. I used to run a lot. I used to run the tracks all the time, just making sure physically I could cope with the demands that I was going to put on my body, but also on my mind. What frightened you when you were at Williams? You know, what was your biggest fear? when you were running that team? Uh, losing the locker room. Um, I was, I'm gonna probably get upset now, but I was very um, attached to the people at Williams, really attached. They were, they were my family. And um, I was always, the thing that bothered me most was thinking that I didn't have their respect or their belief, more, more so the belief in me that I could lead them and do what I needed to do. And I was all over the show in the beginning. Oh my God, some of the stuff I used to say when I had to do stand up and we used to have town halls every quarter. I, you know, myself, the board, other members that we'd call in would stand up. A thousand people in a room, you're doing this. And oh my God, five foot four again, you know, scary <laughs> times. And, but I would always want them to believe in me that I was their boss, that I could do it and to follow me. Because I think if you're a leader and you don't have your people behind you, you're nowhere. And so for me, the thought that they wouldn't stand behind me or that they lost faith in what I was doing or lost faith that I could do it was always my greatest fear. And I always said that if I ever heard that they had done that, that that was the situation, I would have walked immediately. And in trying to make sure that you had their respect and mm. I suppose authority to, to lead, do you feel that you possibly were too soft at times mm. on the team or on too certain nice. employees or mm. I, d I think it's funny because again this comes down to how you see yourself versus how other people see you apparently I was quite scary and a lot of people didn't really and not necessarily maybe inside the team but outside didn't really you know want to approach me and stuff like that and I think I'm the least scary person mm. in the world probably in the beginning I was trying to earn their trust and respect too much and still in that asking permission and not 
transitioning quickly enough into being their boss. Mm. But that is quite hard. And I do think that you have to tiptoe through that process when you aren't just parachuted into being someone's boss. That comes with a whole other, you know, um, amount of stuff that you've got to go through in order to gain people's respect. But when you have come up into um, that level of position, I think, and you've come through the ranks and people have known you since you were born, Mm, you do have to tread carefully. And maybe I did tread too carefully. Maybe I was always too nice. But I actually value the fact that I was nice. And it was something that I chose consciously um, to behave in that way as a leader. I wanted to be a good leader. I wanted to be a nice and caring leader. Because Formula One's brutal and it's really tough. And I wanted to inject a bit more, um, what's the word, consideration into the business. Mm. People give up a lot of time. They make a lot of sacrifices. I wanted to make sure that they were well cared for. So I was nice. I think I was a nice boss. I did a lot of nice things for people. Mm. Whether it was appreciated or not, I don't know. I think it was. But maybe being a bit more like, you know, when when things weren't done in the way they should, I probably should have been harsher. I remember there were only probably two or three times when I lost my stuff. I lost my cool. Hmm. Like stormed over to the pit wall, and then I, oh my god, I hated myself afterwards. I was mortified that I'd done it because I think it was so rare. And when it happened, everyone knew it happened because it's very obvious when your boss is storming over to the pit wall, and you know everyone was watching. And I felt quite proud of myself that I did it, but I regretted it because it's not how I wanted to do business. Hmm. But sometimes I think you need to lose your cool a little bit. Sure. So maybe I, in answer to your question, wish I had a bit more. I mean, had you done that? I mean, we've seen your management. I mean, I've seen Drive to Survive, and sure many people have. Others mm. have also. Drive to Survive. There's a lot of stuff that people don't see sure. behind the scenes, and that was a particularly low moment in Williams's yeah. history, and and one I actually I couldn't quite believe. It was like what, mm. and you know there was a lot of stuff that went on that I can't talk about, and yeah, I won't sure. because it's not fair or right, but. You know, you saw me in Drive to Survive. I remember in the garage and, you know, there's shots of me and I'm clearly livid. I mean, mm. if you know my, li- you won't know my livid face. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I can look pretty peaked when I want to be. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that was, that was a moment where I, you know, I lost sure. my call and sure. probably quite rightly so. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's my, uh, whatever. Yeah. It was a low moment and everyone knew it. And also actually in those moments, sometimes you don't need to shout. Yeah. You don't need to lose your cool. Absolutely. You know, because everyone knows yeah. that, you know, they're in trouble. Everyone knows yeah. that it's a disaster and everyone knows it's everyone's responsibility. Yeah. Um, and so sometimes it's actually better to remain calm, to bite your tongue and then to deal with it afterwards in a cool, calm, collective manner. And we, you know, that was actually the start of what we implemented at Williams called our After Action Review. AARs that we pretty much then had for everything <laughs> Williams yeah. after any kind of major incident or even a small drama. And did those AARs help going forward? Yeah, they did. Because yeah. you learn, yeah. like you mentioned earlier, yeah. you learn, you have to learn from your mistakes. Yeah. Otherwise, you just keep on making yeah. them. And actually, you can sometimes spin out positive from those mistakes. And I tell you, we learn an awful lot. And I think I even mentioned in my interviews afterwards, as much as it was horrific and embarrassing, humiliating, every single one of those adjectives, it actually almost made the team a little bit stronger because we put in some pretty tough measures to ensure that would never happen again. And we brought in 
you know, we made some personnel changes and we brought in some brilliant people and one guy in particular who I know now has car build by the scruff of its neck, but I don't miss the car build period in taking the car to sure. testing. But, you know, and that's the very point I'm making, it's when there are problems such as that or sort of catastrophic situations, procedures are put in place and they make for a better company going yes. forwards and you wouldn't exactly. get to that place unless you have the disaster. So it's just yeah. trying to, you know, it is making yeah. lemonade, right? You... Yeah, it is. And I think you have to do that. And I think you have to, as a leader, respond in a certain way. Um, and I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's okay to literally just lose it completely. I mean, we had some very difficult times and some difficult conversations around that whole period that went on for a long time and that no one saw. And that's the other thing about, you know, I suppose a lot of businesses, but particularly businesses that are in the spotlight and particularly sports teams, you're there, you've got cameras on you all the time, all day long. And so you're living out your nightmares in front of so many people. Mm. You know, even then I had, you know, people, other TDs me messaging me going, you've got illegal bits on your car. And it's like, they can actually see it you know that everyone's looking and everyone's seeing it and you're like oh my god you know how can it get any worse um but you have to go through it and it invariably does make you stronger and i know that williams is in a much stronger place around that particular part of the year as a result but it's not easy when as my um old ceo used to say your report card is there for everybody to see yeah. every other weekend in formula one yeah so other than your dad i mean who who inspired you in motor racing or who's your mentor? Who was your mentor at the time? So I've mentioned him a lot, our mm. CEO. Um, his name Mike, Mike O'Driscoll. And he was actually, when I was brought on board um, or promoted into the DTP role, Mike was one of our non-execs who was sat on the board and had been since we floated in 2011. He had a background in automotive, having run, he ran Jaguar North America. He retired, he was living and had always lived in Washington, British, but moved to the States many, many years ago. And Mike and I had always got on. We had a similar love for marketing and brand and comms, etc. So we talked we had talked a lot over the previous two years. And when I was made DTP and I needed a CEO because I did not have the skill set or experience to actually run the business yeah. myself. Um, I don't even think at that point I could read a balance sheet, for goodness sake. <laughs> I probably still couldn't now, probably accurately. But so I asked him if he would come in and just temporarily, because I knew that he'd retired, whether on an interim basis till we found a CEO, he'd come in. And he agreed to come over and live in Oxford for six months. And he was still there at the end with me. And we left together. And he was my mentor. He was my surrogate dad. He was everything to me. We, I was so lucky in that we worked so well together there was no ego between us he did the things he was good at I did the things I was good at and it worked beautifully I think some people probably thought it was a bit of an odd couple um and but it was just it was brilliant and we had a great time doing it as well and you know we used to finish each other's sentences it was that kind of relationship yeah. and I was really lucky and I learned so much from him and I you know again someone I work with and you know, travelled with every day of my life for eight years. He's my father's, he's my father, my son's godfather. And I miss him. I miss him every day now that we're not working together because he was just brilliant and underrated, really underrated in the mm. role that he was in. And, and do you miss Formula One? I do. I I think I'm haunted by Formula One because it's that kind of world. It's um, It's very addictive. 
and it's brilliant. You know, my dad always used to say, aren't we lucky we're paid to do the jobs that we love, Claire? And he's, he was right. Um, it's a magic place to work. There's something really special about it. But I'm sure everybody that loves their job and loves their industry feels the same way. And if you're lucky enough to be in that position mm. in life, I don't think you can wish for more. So I do miss it. I'm, I miss the people mostly. I miss my team. I miss driving to Williams every day. Um, I miss the challenge. I miss the adversity. I miss the aspiration and the hope of success. Um, but it's a closed chapter on my life. Um, I wouldn't have chosen to, for it to have ended when it did. I still had um, Much more to dreams give. and yeah, more to give. I feel like it's been cut short abruptly, so I'm still, you know, taking it one day at a time and getting over the trauma of losing Williams. Um, and I'll probably forever regret that I wasn't able to continue a bit longer. Um, but that's life, and you have to move on. Did you watch it? No. Why? I don't. Um, do you know, actually, to be fair, I watched yesterday's race. Which oh, is, did you? I watched... No, actually, sorry, I lie. I didn't watch yesterday's race. I couldn't bear it. Um, Mark put it on for five minutes and said, I can't, I've got to go and do something else. I watched qualifying because I just wanted to see where Williams was and where everybody was, actually. I wanted to see where George was, where he was going to be in his Mercedes, obviously desperate to go there the whole time that he was my driver. So George was... Uh, you. you, you... You effectively gave George his first driving. You gave him his, his seat, I gave right? Him, yeah, I gave him his seat in yeah. F1. Um, but I can't take claim for George sure. coming to me. Sure. That was um, kind of George and Toto's uh, uh, drive. So, but George is a brilliant driver, and I I hope that he has the car this year that he deserves. Because bless him, he obviously had a terrible time with us, and he is he has got so much talent. And he's had to fight over the past three years and, you know, just wait patiently. And now he's finally got what he's dreamed of having for that time. He deserves it. So I just hope that the car is good enough to show what he can do. But, you know, at least he's not at the back anymore. But again, and as I always said to George when he was saying um, that he wanted to leave and go to Mercedes and there were opportunities, I said, but you've got to stay here and you'll stay here and you'll learn. And it's better to go through adverse times in the beginning. It will shape your personality, shape your character, give you some steel um, inside you and help you fight in the bad times because you're going to have bad times. You're not just going to get into Mercedes and it's all going to be hunky-dory and this will set you up. And so I wanted to see how George would do, but I, don't, I won't be tuning in you know, every race. I doubt I'll tune into any. But... So I mean, how many races have you watched since you were no longer DTP? None. None. No, no yeah. races. None. And, and, and so why can you not watch? Why don't you watch? Why can't you watch? It's unbearable. What's unbearable about it? It's, it's so painful. It's, it's, um, because you miss it so much? I miss or? it so, yeah, I miss it deeply. I really do. And it's, yeah, it's my team. Mm. I think yeah. probably if it was not called Williams, I struggle with that. Yeah. Um, I think if it wasn't called Williams and it, mm. they'd renamed it Doralton F1 or whatever, that easier. gives you a, yeah. a break, doesn't it? Yeah. It gives you a bit of closure, but it's still called Williams. I suppose it's almost like someone else raising your kids. A little bit. Yeah. That's what it feels like. You're right. Yeah. It's, and you have to watch yeah. them raise your kid yeah, from a distance. I, I can't bear it. You know, those people, you know, the cameras focus on, you know, Milky in the garage, Chris Stafford is one of our in, uh, uh, mechanics, or, you know, Andrew, one of our strategists. And it's like, you know, they're my guys. Yeah. You know, I should have been in the strategy yeah. group meeting, seeing what they were planning yeah. or whatever. And 
and it's it's really difficult. difficult. It is difficult. So what next for Clear Williams? Um, do you know I'm actually really loving being a housewife, and I think I'm pretty good at it. You know, no one trolls you on social media if you didn't put the dishwasher on when you should, um, or anything of the like. And I'm loving being a mum. I'm loving being a wife. I was a terrible wife in Formula One, and so I get to do try and be a good wife now. Try and be a good mum, and I'm loving that. But I want to do a few bits, so. I'm going to start, I wanted to take a bit of a break, have a bit of a breather, but this year I'm going to be starting to do a few bits and maybe doing some stuff with you. Right? Absolutely, mm. absolutely. So I'm very excited about it. So if you could just take one sort of pillar of success, you know, there's so many, you know, discipline, um, resolve, having a good, you know, a reason, um, what you know? What would you identify as the main gift? If you could give somebody one thing, you know, take this, just focus on this, yeah. and life's gonna be better for you. If you just focus on this one thing, this one word, what would it be? Would it be resolve? Would it be discipline? Would it be um, desire? I mean, we're. It's not a question you've probably been asked before. And I'd imagine teamwork. It would be teamwork. Yeah, and I think that's probably applicable even if you're an entrepreneur and you're starting your own business from scratch. It may seem funny because you might not have any employees, but some of the greatest lessons I learned in Formula One was surround yourself by the best people. So often I saw people make the mistakes of employ people that were what, who they thought weren't as good as them because they thought it would make them look better because they were better. It didn't. It actually just provides you with a rubbish team that weren't going to be able to yeah. deliver. Um, surround yourself with good people that are better than you makes you look good but also gives you people to rely on right everybody you can't you know you're not an island in business you need really good people around you that are as hardworking and have the same values and drive that you do and your people are what make you successful and unless you can create an environment for them where teamwork is paramount and everybody has each other's backs I don't think that you've got or you can possibly have a good a good sustainable and high performing business absolutely and good people just you just mentioned um sort of the teamwork and having good people i mean you had toto as part of williams at one stage wasn't he mm -hmm. he was involved he in came williams. into formula one through williams through williams back in i don't know 2009 he bought some shares um and then he uh, had he bought more shares I can't remember how many shares Toto ended up owning. Mm -hmm. It was about 20% or something. Right, quite okay. a lot. And then he got the call and he he was, he was became like an exec director. And because at that same point, my dad, Patrick, had both stepped away a bit, Toto kind of naturally slotted into helping run the team on a day-to-day -day basis. And then Mercedes came calling. And then obviously he went. But he was the guy, I suppose, or one of the first people that said I should be made DTP and he phoned me once and said I can't go unless I know that you're going to take this role and that the board are okay with you taking this role I won't be leaving and so I then took the role and he went to Mercedes and he's moved on to yeah it's a shame I he didn't become DTP of Williams and I could have gone <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Didn't exactly let's rewind so, so I'll go there you yeah. stay here oh man I didn't suggest that. <laughs> I didn't even own any of Williams. Yeah, twenty percent for God's sake. <laughs> oh dear. Yeah. Clear, it's been great. It's been absolutely amazing having you here. Um, you know, and I think it's uh, we look forward to seeing what you can bring. I mean, you've got so much knowledge, right? You've got so much knowledge. You've been through so much, 
And I think the world of Formula One needs you back at some point in mm. some guise. Maybe, who knows? Who knows what happens down the line? But it would be mm. great to see you in the paddocks again. Thanks, and if we don't sorry. see you in the paddocks again, at the very least, I can definitely say you didn't get the memo. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Joe, it's been such a lovely chat. Thank you for having me. Thank you very much. Thank you. Here we go. Bring it in. Here we go. I don't, I don't hug all me. Oh, <laughs> won't be hugging all the guests, but you're special, so you get a oh, hug. Oh, thanks, Roy. Thank you very much. <laughs>